So this is a big passage. It's super rich. It's super intimidating to me as a, as a guy trying to understand and preach it. So what we're going to do is a little bit different this morning. I'm going to do a little bit more stagger, start, stop stuff. We're going to go through a few lines and then stop and talk. And we'll go through a few more lines, stop and talk. And then we're going to come to the end. We'll try to revisit a couple of application points. So try to bear with me. There'll be lots of times where we're just going to be in the text. I'm going to come out of it. I'm going to ask you to go back in. Does that make sense? And then at the very end, we'll try to touch on a couple of key application points, okay? So let's start in verse 28 of chapter 18. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and he said, what accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. And Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. And this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Stop here for a moment and talk. The Jewish leaders bring Jesus to Pilate. The Roman governor of Judea, this is sort of a state, like Maryland's a state, and Jerusalem's sort of a, a capital, like Baltimore or Annapolis is a capital. Forgive me for that. Come on, can't they just, I mean, okay. So, but, but sometime in the last few hours, Jesus has been to Caiaphas, the high priest. John doesn't go through this trial. It's in Matthew and maybe some of the other synoptics. But there he was pronounced a blasphemer for his confirmation that he is the son of God unashamedly before Caiaphas and the priests. And there he had been tried and convicted of blasphemy. He'd been beaten by fists and bloodied up and he'd been bound. And now he comes to the Roman authority, Pontius Pilate, who's over all of Judea and has the power of physical force at his disposal that the Jews did not. And the reason that Jesus is coming here is because the Jewish people cannot murder Jesus. They have to get somebody else to do it. So they need Rome to murder the Lord because they're not allowed to under Roman law. But already the sovereignty of God's grace for sinners is crying out from this corruption and the involvement of Rome. A thousand years before this day, David prophesied about the Messiah in Psalm 22. They have pierced my hands and my feet long before crucifixion had ever been invented. 722 years earlier, Isaiah, the prophet, had written of the Messiah. He was pierced for our transgressions. Now, the Jews' normal method of execution was stoning, usually. But the handing of Jesus to the Roman authorities means that God is ordaining a different fate for Jesus' execution. He will be crucified. He will hang from a wooden cross. And that has profound theological implications. Because this ensures that Jesus will fulfill a type of punishment that's unique in the Old Testament. It is the type of punishment called the curse of God. It is not the type of punishment that is defined for those who are stoned. It's only for those who are hanged from a tree. Deuteronomy 21, 22 through 23 in the Mosaic Law, it states that anyone who hangs from a tree is cursed of God. 
In Galatians 3.13, Paul tells us, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Brother or sister, do you feel cursed this morning? Does your life feel cursed? Do you feel this judgment of God and reality against you? Do you have this sense of dread that God has cursed you, that he's against you, that you're hopeless? Brother or sister, you may feel that way. There can be many reasons for that. Psychological, our our sin we're not dealing with, and other things, temperament. But, But you cannot... Brother and sister, you cannot truly be cursed by God. Though your sins deserve that you would be cursed by God, you cannot be cursed by God. Because in hanging Jesus from the cross, God was making a point. He is taking your curse away from you. And he is putting it on his son. Coming back to verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and he called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? This was the charge the Jewish authorities had shrewdly given to Rome. Setting Jesus up as this usurper of of Rome's authority. A new king, an authorized king, a fraudulent king with territorial ambitions. Jesus answers. Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? This is profound. Pilate is questioning Jesus because he has to. Jesus is questioning Pilate because he wants to. Pilate is seeking details about Jesus' crime and trying to assess the threat that Jesus is. Jesus is seeking Pilate's heart. Pilate, do you want to know about me? Have people told you about this? Or are you interested in me? I imagine that Pilate had heard stories of Jesus. He was famous. He'd been around for three years. He'd done things that nobody had ever done over the province that Pilate had ruled. It's hard for me to understand that Pilate would have heard Jesus' name the first time today. So I think Jesus, and so do some of the commentaries I've read, Jesus is stopping to seek out Pilate's heart, the heart of his executioner. Pilate is affected by Jesus somehow. We know from Matthew that Pilate's wife warns him at some point not to hurt Jesus, not to lay a hand on him, that he's righteous because she was tormented because of a painful dream that the Lord had allowed her to have. And so note the heart of Jesus in the middle of being processed for for execution. He is seeking the heart and the good of his executioner. Jesus answered Pilate. Verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world. My servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Jesus is giving Pilate an out. He's letting him know he is no threat. 
to what Pilate is concerned about. Now, when Jesus says, my kingdom's not of this world, if it were, my servants would be fighting, he doesn't mean, if my kingdom were of this world, you'd be in trouble because my angels would come and destroy you, yo. No, no, no. What he's saying is, my kingdom is not of this world. The character, the goals, the mission of my kingdom, whether my people are in this world or my people are above or my angels are around, it is not like the kingdoms of this world. In this world, kingdoms amass power and they preserve their own interests through the threat of physical force and literal war. And that's what you're worried about, Pilate. But that's not what my kingdom's about. Of course, force in a sinful world is not wrong in and of itself. Romans 13 tells us that God ordains kingdoms and governments for common good and uses force to combat injustice and to protect innocence. And that is deeply flawed, obviously, in our history as a world. But force and threat, even in the name of justice, is not the nature of Jesus' mission. Threat Force, self-protection, they are not the nature of Jesus' kingdom and his mission. One day there will be judgment. There will be an overwhelming force, physical and spiritual, brought against unrepentant people by God. It will come. That is not God's desire. And that is not his agenda for his kingdom on this earth now. Jesus came not to conquer by force, Or threaten his enemies. He came to die for them. And save them by sacrifice. The kingdom of God. Is not about destroying. Our enemies. But reconciling them back. To his salvation and his friendship. And so we as his disciples. Are not called to fight our enemies. With force. But to fight for them. With the gospel and the love of Christ. Who are your enemies? They're in your household, right? Sometimes they're your kids. They're your spouses. They're your parents. Jesus' kingdom is in the face of his executioner. How can I care for you? It's out of this world kingdom stuff. It's miracle stuff. It's Holy Spirit stuff. It doesn't come naturally to us. But that's what his kingdom does in us. Who are our other kingdoms? A sweet sister, a dear friend, has asked me a few times. If a gay person came to our church, would they feel welcomed here? Now, welcomed in in what way, right? Like, welcomed as in, it's fine. God doesn't care about that. He doesn't ask you to turn from that. No, that would not be love. That would not be welcoming. But if a homosexual person came into our church, would they feel us clinch in with protection and self protection Oh, you and the left. The le- what if a Muslim person came here to our church? W- would they feel fear as our leading edge? It's understandable, right? I mean, I, I, it is in my heart. Or would they feel a sense of, I'm trusting myself to the Lord so I can, I can love you and reach out to you. We're a predominantly white church. What if a black dude walked in here with a Black Lives Matter t-shirt? <laughs> Would you recoil? 
think about that meme you want to put up on Facebook <laughs> about how backwards it all is, right? I mean, most of us believe that black lives matter, but we may not like that organization. But, but they matter. <laughs> and we want them to know that, that we care about that. What if an illegal immigrant came in? <laughs> Would you put your politics and your desire for what might be a, a right order, you know, for the way we, we rule this country, would you put that above loving somebody you might see as a threat? Because that's what the kingdom is doing here. Jesus is being threatened, and he is responding with a kingdom mentality of love for this man. Back to verse 37, Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. We heard much about the truth in the upper room, which in this story is last night. Truth has been on Jesus' heart. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. The apostles will be sanctified by truth. The truth of the word of God. Jesus is himself the truth. And if you recall from our study of John 17, truth is the self-disclosure of Jesus Christ. Because it's the self-disclosure of God. Because God lives in and fully manifests himself through Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying to Pilate, yes, I am a king. That is the truth. I'm a king because God is the ultimate king. And so I am the ultimate king. And I came to reveal the truth about God's kingdom in myself. Pilate, I am the truth about God. And everyone who belongs to me, everyone who truly wants the truth, they're going to listen to me. They're going to hear me. Will you hear me, Pilate? Will you listen to me? Pilate is on trial. The audacity of this, this Jerusalem peasant, this Nazarene peasant, no claim to any authority in Pilate. His life is in this guy's hands, hanging by a thread. Pilate, will you listen to me? I am a king, I am the truth. You're on trial. Will you listen to me? And Pilate shows he does not belong to Jesus. He does not want Jesus. He dismisses the heart of what Jesus is saying in this famous cynical response. Pilate says to him, what is truth? What is truth? This isn't the response of the, of the bleeding heart liberal pleading that all truths are equal. Which is in respect, an absolute lie. Or the hard right-wing Pharisee ready to kill with zeal for their version of truth. No, I think this is the irritation and the arrogance of the ultimate pragmatist. Get away from me with all this truth business. What are you talking about, truth? This world is a zoo. Truth. You're going to find truth here in this gutter on the other side of the earth, crazy zealots. and He's heard enough from Jesus, and he knows enough of the jealous Jewish leaders. He, 
truth is a joke to Pilate. But he also knows something really interesting. He knows that Jesus is not a threat. He's come to that conclusion already. He knows that we hear from one of the other synoptic gospels. He knows what the Pharisees and the the priests are about. They're about selfish ambition. They're about jealousy. And he has contempt for them. And so curiously, look at what happens next. Jesus says, I'm the truth. He says, what is truth? And then he leaves the room. He goes back outside of the Jews. And we see this in verse, second half of verse 38. After he had said this, he went back outside of the Jews and he told them, I find no guilt in him. Oh, just tragic. And true, but tragic for Pilate. I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again. Not this man. Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. John tells us. So there's this insecurity in Pilate. He, he doesn't understand Jesus. He knows Jesus is innocent. He's been warned by his wife about Jesus. He may have even been affected by God the Son looking him in the eye and trying to care for his heart. And so he looks for a way out in this tradition of amnesty for a prisoner in Passover. And my dad rightly reminded me, Pilate self-interestedly isn't interested in killing Jesus and looking horrible to the many thousands of people who had just shown a few days earlier on Palm Sunday how much they loved him and adored him. So he's looking for a way out. Now I want to say something as we move forward here. We're about to move into deep, deep suffering for Jesus. And and the rest of 18 and and all of 19 will consist of terrible suffering for Jesus. And as you hear it and read it, I want you to think of this. Jesus did this for you. Jesus did this for you. I don't want it simply to be the horror of his suffering. I don't want it simply to be how moral he is to be a martyr. I want you to process this as this is him taking your punishment away. This is him taking your sin away. This is him purchasing salvation secure for you. So I pray you'd hear God saying as we read the following, I will not bring my wrath upon you. Because I'm bringing it upon my son for you. Starting in verse 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on his head. And arrayed him in a purple robe. And they came up to him saying. Hail. King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. And Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. And so Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, 
Behold the man. Jesus had been scourged by leather strips. At the end of them had bone or metal to rip and tear at his flesh. He'd been pierced into his skull, probably with a palm date tree bush that had thorns that might have been as long as 12 inches. He'd been beaten again and mocked and spat at. And then he's brought out to this crowd, bloody, weary, already crushed. And Pilate says, I'm bringing him out to you that you will see that I find no guilt in him. It's a curious way to treat someone in whom you find no guilt. D.A. Carson says this, though. In, in this dramatic utterance, behold the man from Pilate. Pilate is speaking with dripping irony. Here's the man that you find so dangerous and threatening. Can you not see he is harmless and somewhat ridiculous? If the governor is thereby mocking, if, if the governor is thereby mocking Jesus, he is ridiculing the Jewish authorities with no less venom. But the evangelist records the event with, with still deeper irony. Here is indeed the man. The word made flesh. All the witnesses were too blind to see it at the time, but this man was displaying his glory, the glory of the one and only son in the very disgrace, pain, weakness, and brutalization that Pilate advanced as suitable evidence that Jesus was irrelevant. Verse 6, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, They cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. And the Jews answered him, we have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself out to be the son of God. Not just king of the Jews, not just a Herod replacement, the son of God. When Pilate, verse 8, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And he entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. All who are of the truth, they listen to me. My sheep hear my voice. Pilate's in his heart of hearts not interested in King Jesus. He's still interested in getting out of this. Using whatever he has to use to get out of this. So Pilate, verse 10, said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, 
you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. What is Pilate afraid of? Despite all of his hardness, there is this trial going on in his heart. There is this fear of Jesus. There is this fear of condemning this innocent man. And it might be all, it might be all pragmatic for him. But one theologian says that in Roman culture, there is this idea that a lot of these, these magistrates, that they were also very superstitious. And in, in Greco-Roman culture, there's this idea, it's kind of ill-defined, but it was there, of divine men. That there were people on the earth who were just divinely touched more so than others. And they were especially touched by divine power. And so I, I think it's very likely that Pilate had heard about Jesus' power for years now. And now that he understands there's this other element besides the political king, he's, he's a deity possibly. And I think possibly that shakes him. Verse 12, from then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. And so when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and he sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the stone pavement and in Aramaic Gabbatha. Verse 14, now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. Right in the middle of this climactic moment of what's going to happen to Jesus. Is he going to live? Is he going to be be dead? Is he going to be released or is he going to be slain? Right in there, John just reminds us. He could have done this 17 verses ago. It's Passover, folks. It's take the lamb and slay it and put its blood over your door frames so that the judgment of God passes over your house. Right at this moment of decision. All the lambs are being slain. Who's this? Will this lamb be slain? It was about the sixth hour. We're in verse 14. He said to the Jews, Behold your king! And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Incredible. Against his... Many instincts out of fear of the Jews, out of fear of what the emperor might do to him if the Jewish leadership complains about Jesus, that's the button to press on Pilate's heart. Self-protection. You're going to get in trouble. We're going to bust on you, Pilate, unless you give us this guy. Give us what we want. Or we're going to sell you out. Pilate's like, I'm good. (laughs) I'll sell him out. I know he's innocent. Maybe he's even touched by the divine. Kill him. I know he's innocent. Kill him. This is, and of course, this passage is dripping with irony. These people are saying so much more than they understand. So is Pilate. Pilate, behold your king. 
the people. We have no king but Caesar. So what Pilate and the Jewish leaders do on this day was sell, sell off. Not, they're not really selling off Jesus. They're selling off themselves. Pilate's soul has shrunk to a, a level of worth, worthlessness. It's transparent as he gives away a man he knows is innocent to the most horrific death they had. And the crowd fraudulently pledging loyalty to Caesar. They're abandoning God for an emperor who in about 40 years is going to come to their very city and completely destroy it and put them and all their children to death or to captivity. And they think they're finding their way out. You don't find your way out when you sell God out. You don't find your way out when you sell God out. We saw two men put on trial this morning. Let's be warned by one and moved to adore the other. Pilate represents a man who lives for the kingdom of this world. It's a kingdom that says my security is mine to control and provide for. When it push comes to shove, I'm not going to worry about justice. I'm going to worry about protection. It's a kingdom that makes half-hearted attempts at righteousness, but without God's power, it cannot sustain it. And it shows its true color when push comes to shove. And deep down, it has to cynically cry out in despair of its own embarrassing lack of morality. What is truth anyway? What right gives you to put your version of truth on me? Oh, and this is a huge cry of our age, isn't it? Not just cynically, but idealistically, people will say, what is truth? All truth, my truth, your truth, it's all good. But really what's behind that is this, is this decrying of this idea that truth can have any binding authority on me. Pilate is really saying by what is truth? It's another way of saying, did God really say Did God really say homosexuality is a sin? Did God really say that where your money is, there your treasure is, really? Did God really say love your enemies? Did God really say if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery? You will surely not die. What is truth? It's the voice of Satan. It's a kingdom that remembers the idea of justice somewhere out there. But when the heat gets turned down, it has no hope in God. Therefore, it has no love to give. So it's all about itself. That's the kingdom of this world. The other trial was the trial of Jesus Christ. And in one sense, he is condemned by Pilate today. He is brought low and put to shame. But in truth, he is exalted and justified before us all. He passes his trial. He showed us a kingdom that is about entrusting your soul to God. And because you do that, you can love your enemies. He showed us a kingdom that isn't interested in advancing by force or threat, but by sacrifice. And love. Yes, again, kingdoms can use force for good, but only because they're about the reasonable desire for self-protection, which often is right. But righter 
is that Jesus is not first about self-protection. He's firstly about his father's will. Entrusting himself to God and pursuing God's glory. He is not a glutton for punishment, folks. Jesus is not some martyr to admire simply. The book of Hebrews tells us that he submitted himself to God's will through this horrible passion because he saw at the end of it what? What did he see coming at the end of it? What was set before him? What joy? Joy was coming. He knew that on the other side of the cross was an eternity of love and joy and victory in his father's embrace and countless brothers and sisters that he had saved from hell awaiting him. He knew the road to get there was paved with suffering. That it was paved with the hard work of loving his enemies and telling them the hard truth and giving them forgiveness through his own horrible punishment. But he knew in the end only one kingdom was going to prevail. And he knew he was on the right side and he did not want to be on the losing side. (laughs) He wanted to be on the side of love and joy and justice and righteousness and courage and dignity and honor. What about us? Two men on trial. Which guy do you want to be with? Do you know that the kingdom of your father will prevail? Do you know it in this dramatic election year, in the face of ISIS and everything else, that the kingdom of your father is going to prevail and you can love your enemies? If we're not going to get cynical and hard and selfish like Pilate, if instead we're going to love our enemies and suffer for Jesus, we have to know who won this trial today and who will win it for all eternity. We have to see that God, we can entrust ourselves to him. That his suffering truly purchased our eternity. It truly purchased our forgiveness. That his character can truly redeem and change our own. So as we close, let's pray that we are warned by Pilate of the futility of the kingdom of this world and move to more deeply adore our Jesus, pursue his kingdom, trust in his father so we can extend to others a heart of sacrificial love.